out there because we're commanded to go. Going out there because God loves us enough that he sent us out there. And we have a purpose. But it's hypocritical to say that we go out and we want to win people for Christ. And yet somehow our own family and our own children somehow are neglected when it comes to being saved. It's pretty important. We can't pass on the truth to our own offspring. What does it say about us? So I hope this morning that it will help us to focus to the degree that we need to be. You take your Bible and turn to Matthew. We're going to look at some very, there's a lot of verses, even Old and New Testament, to deal with this. But this is kind of nestled down in with just two verses that deal with the idea of children. And I could take longer passages and pull them together, and uh, but I think it's unique because I think it's a general attitude that Jesus is dealing with among his own disciples. And uh, men of, that were following him, that wanted to do his will, obey his voice, and uh, yet uh, they had an attitude that wasn't of God. So I want us to look at this, Matthew chapter number 19. Let's stand as we read the word of God together. I'm going to read a couple verses. I'm going to talk about a little bit before, a little bit after, maybe give you a contextual uh, relationship to these verses to the rest of the chapter. Verse number 13 is where we're going to start. The Bible says, Then <clears throat> there were brought unto him little children, that it should, he should put his hands on them and pray, and his disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, Suffer the little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of God. And he laid his hands on them and departed thence. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord God, you have entrusted to us a children. And Father, what a blessing it is to have children, and Father, to train them and raise them for you. We heard this morning in our Sunday school, that, Father, we are stewards. That really, Father, these are gifts that you've given us. They're your children, but we've given us to raise. And, Father, that we have a responsibility and a privilege, uh, Lord, to raise up a godly seed. And, Lord, we know from the Old Testament where that failed and how that uh, really brought the, the whole world to the, to the flood. Lord, please uh, help us to see that we, to be salt and light not only for ourselves, but, Father, for the next generation requires us to raise up a godly seed. I pray you bless today and strengthen us that our minds would be fixed, recognizing, Father, that what a heartbreak and what a sadness that will not go away if our own children do not get saved. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. I could put this in any title. I, I pondered this uh, a little bit before I put this title up here this morning because I thought, well, you know, that might offend some people. And uh, you know what? I, I, I want to put it up there in such a way that you really do think about it. I think there's an assumption that you think, well, because I'm saved and your wife's saved, somehow your children are going to automatically be saved. In a way, there's some truth to that. If you live for God and you live by faith, there is a great chance, without a doubt, that God is going to save your children. 
Because the Bible talks about it in, in uh, Proverbs 22, is that you train them up in the way they should go. So God has entrusted you with children, his children, I call them, and that your responsibility is to train them. Uh, I'm on the other side of this now. And uh, I, I enjoyed being a dad. I really did. And I still enjoy being a dad. Been in the midst of the fight. It was, sometimes it got pretty messy. Sometimes it became pretty challenging. But I enjoyed it. And there's times that I miss have being a part of that. But I get a, a good chance to get a taste of it once in a while just being granddad. And I enjoy being a grandfather. I enjoyed yesterday going out and uh, soul winning with my granddaughter. And I hope to be able to do it with the others as they grow a little older and a little more uh, an apt to that, uh, that part of the Christian life. But as we read this, we see that before this, and I want you to look at this, is that Jesus deals with marriage. And that, that is a big deal because, and you know in the book of Malachi that he, he, uh, he dealt with the idea of the priests, the ones that should have been the example to others, that they did not have a godly marriage. And that's important as he talks about that. He talks about divorce. Where did that come from? And, uh, and uh, in verse 3 it says, The Pharisees came in chapter 19, just give it context, came to him, tempting him, saying to him, Is it lawful a man to put away his wife for every cause? I don't know about you, but when I was raised, divorce was not on the radar. It wasn't. I can remember the first five years of our marriage were tough. And I wasn't saved. But I never, we never ever in the five years, there was some, I mean, I say tough. There was times I thought the D word. I did. Probably Daddy, Debbie did too, but we never ever mentioned it. It was never ever an option. We grew up in an area where mom, my mom and dad had some tough times. But the D word was not an option. And so we think about that, and we understand that. We're going to raise up a godly seed. And if you read the book of Malachi, he says, if you don't have the right kind of relationship with your spouse, he says, I'm going to, it's going to show up in a, your children not being saved. That's a shame, isn't it? How, how, how hard should you work on having a godly relationship with your spouse. Work at it, what I'm saying. Put some effort in it. Yeah, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging. And it's going to be a time where you got to really live by faith. <laughs> she or he's going to do something uh, on us any given day that's going to really turn you the wrong way. Sometimes you just got to bite your lip. <laughs> or bite your tongue. Bite something. But work at it. So Jesus is in this vein of talking about relationships in the home. He mentions that, and I firmly believe this, and please, young people that are in this room, I want you to listen to this, and I firmly believe there's not, I have not met maybe one person in my life, maybe two, that weren't meant to be married. You hear that? My granddaughter, I'm never going to get married. Oh, you're going to get married. You're going to get married one of these days. Well, you know what? It's meant for you to be married. 
So it's meant for you to start thinking right now that you're going to be a godly person so God will have the opportunity to line up a right person in your life. You think God is going to prepare a right person in your life if you're not right with God? How many think that God's going to do that? You think he's going to waste somebody on you if you're not right with God? And you say, well, I just can't seem to find the right person. You be right with God and God will line up the right person for you. And this all deals with this because why is God important? He wants two people to be under God, all right, so that they can raise up a godly seed. This is important. It's a foundation. You want your children to love God, serve God, and be saved? Then you've got to have a godly relationship with your spouse. We're going to look at some of, them, some of the things. We're going to start with the attitude. And really, the whole message is around the attitude. If you look at your, the context of what we're talking about here, we're going to start with the last thing first that Jesus mentioned. But Jesus said, Suffer the little children and forbid them not to come unto me, for such is what? The kingdom of God. He takes, and I've thought a lot about this, and I hope that you give a little thought to it too, is the kingdom of God, what is it like? He says, as such is the kingdom of God. And, I, and I, you've seen this. We say, well, their kids are born in sin. They're nothing but sinners, you know. And, but we know innocency. How many know what innocency is? You like it, don't you, when you see it in their kids. They're just kind of naive about sin, about wrong, about evil, about things. In the, and, and it's just that, that, that innocency. And really, when they become, and when we become re, uh, uh, regenerated or born again, in a degree, that innocency comes back. We want to be innocent of evil. We, want, we don't want to be knowledgeable of sin. We don't want to go to places. We don't want to go to uh, 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 programming of any type on radio or TV that's not of God. We want our minds to be pure, our hearts to be pure. And so we have to maintain a godly innocency. There ought to be some of that in mom and dad. Let me say that. If you're going to reflect Christ and you want the children to what, know what is right and what is wrong and you want them to be saved at some point, then there has to be a real spirit of innocence. That means that we're to be ignorant of the things that are evil of God. We don't want to know about these things. It ought to be that we, that we are very limited, if not totally uh, eliminating any of this videos and and TV, we don't have TV anymore like we used to, but I, I assume that. But there's a lot of video out there. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And there's fun things you can watch. I'm not limiting that. But there's a lot of, I'd say most of it, it's garbage. And if you are entertained by garbage, is that innocent? Come on, if it's a little um, a, a colored wrong and, and you can laugh at it, there's something wrong with your innocency. And there's going to be something wrong with them becoming aware of sin. Remember what the Bible says? That the goodness of God does what? What does it do? It brings folks to repentance. You think, well, what, what, how, do you, how does the goodness of God bring people to repentance? When they know 
in their hearts what is wrong and they know that they're a part of what is wrong and they don't like it anymore and they need God's help. Don't you want your children to get to that place that there's that understanding of innocency and yet they have this sin nature and they're living in a godly environment with their parents and their attitude toward sin and toward wrong and they know this sin that dwells up in them and they come to a place where they want to deal with it. We want to look at the idea, <clears throat> that idea of innocence defined, the third definition, if you want to see it up there on the board, of freedom from guilt or evil intentions. Now, I kind of summarized that already. But, you we're, you know, the idea of purity of heart. We, we went through that message last week in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the what? The pure in heart. And listen, you want, a, you want a child that wants to know God, love God, and serve God, and be born again, then there has to be a knowledge of how holy God is. Where is he going to get that knowledge? Are you going to point to the Bible, or is that little two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine-year-old, where are they going to see the knowledge of holiness? They're going to see it in mom and dad, aren't they? They're going to see the purity of heart. If they see a little, say it's something that didn't sound quite right or look quite right, they're going to get it from mom and dad. Secondly, maintaining proper humility. That's important. You know, I, I, I find people saying that they find it very difficult to apologize. You know what? I constantly am making my my share of mistakes throughout the day. I am. And boy, that God is so good to me. And the minute I start to do say, say something, think something that's not quite of God, I say, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't aim to do that, or I didn't aim to say that, or I didn't aim. You know what? Be, be, be ready. You want your children to have a, a sense of humility. Help them to see their sin. Please. You can help them to see their sin by your attitude towards sin. If you do something, say something, act in some, it doesn't matter how small it is. Be ready to say what? I'm sorry. I apologize for that. But you know what keeps us from saying I'm sorry? Come on, help me out. What keeps them from pride? We just, we just don't think it's that bad. And we think that there's a man up about it. Uh, I am not, hey, it wasn't that big a deal. No, listen. I think when we're a pure heart and we have a humble spirit, we're ready to say I'm sorry. We're ready to apologize. Listen, why? Because your children need to see it as well as it being right for you. They need to see that humility in mom and dad. How many of you parents have made mistakes with your kids? Come on. I only saw one hand. You, only one person in this room ever made a mistake with their children. What should you say to your children when you do something? I apologize to your children for even the small things. You say, well, if I apologize, then that just makes it more self-righteous. No, it doesn't. Humility is so necessary. Humbleness. A meek and contrite heart God will not want despise. 
And we appreciate it when we see it in others. It's teachable. It's trainable attitude. A desire to what? Please. It ought to be your children with a proper humility. They have a desire to please you. How many are excited when your children have a desire to please you? Man, you love it, don't you? You're excited. They want to please you. Hey, when you train them up in the way, when they desire to please you, guess who else they will desire to please? Their Heavenly Father, won't they? They say, boy, I want to please God. I want my, I want my Heavenly Father to be happy with me. Well, that comes with humility, folks. You want your children to be teachable, trainable? They have to see it in you. Thirdly, they have to maintain a desire to grow up and be mature. You know, the idea there that there has to be, a, there ought to be, how many of your kids say, boy, I want to help, Dad? I mean, Mama, can I help? How many of you ever had your kids? Can I help you, Dad? Man, you if you have children that do that, you thank God for that. You know what I see sometimes with parents? I mean, you're busy trying to get something done, and your kids, can I help? Oh, not now. Don't bother me now. You get away. You go play. Let me tell you something. You're ruining your kids. When they come to you and they want to help, I am all the time. Uh, Grandpa, can I help? Well, I always need help. How many, how many times you heard Grandpa say that? I always need help. Well, praise God, that is an opportunity. They desire to grow up, to be mature. What do you want with your children? Come on. You want them to stay little? Some of you do. But do you want your children to grow up and be mature? I'm excited when I, have, when I see a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, or 12-year-old that acts very mature. They want to be. They want to be a, sometimes a part of the mature conversation. They want to be around adults. They want to be. I want to go soul winning. I want to help uh, uh, clean the house. I want to help with the church. I want to help fold tracks. I wanna, whatever you're doing, I want to do because that's a desire to what? Be mature. Well, let me ask you: If that's what you want in your children. Listen to me, Mom and Daddy. If that's what you want in your children, what should you be? You better be an example of that. You want to say, how can I help, Pastor? How can I help, Miss T? Brother O, how can I help you, Brother O? How can I help you, Brother Glenn? Maybe somebody else in the church. How can I help you? Because they want a desire. Because mature people... Listen to me. Mature people are all about who? Others. If you're not about others, mom and dad, if you live in some kind of isolated environment where it's just you and me and, and my family and it's you, me, and, and my blood relatives, it's just you and, 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 and we're not others-oriented, you know, the Bible says, by their love toward one another shall all men know you're my disciples. Is that what your Bible says? Is that what your Bible says? Sure it is. You care about others. You're trying to meet others' needs. That's a sign of maturity. Hey, if it's all about your yard, it's all about your house, all about your little life, it ought to be that it's all about other people first. 
It ought to be if you it ought to be that you're thinking about your wife. Husbands, it ought to be regularly coming out of your voice. Listen to me. You some of you guys are so macho. It ought to be, you ought to be, honey. Is there anything I can do to help you today? Huh? I did I hear I didn't hear one amen. amen. Is there anything I can do to help you today, honey? And it ought to be with the wife. Uh, honey, is there anything I is there anything you need me to do before they go to work? Is there anything? I know I hear that from some wives. That's a sign of what? Desire to please, sign of maturity. Listen, that's part of what it means. A lack of Christ-like attitude with your children <clears throat> and all children. Let me stop for just a minute here. This is the big one. How are you going to teach your children to be Christ-like unless you have Christ? Hey, what are you saying, Pastor? Some of you struggle to do, to teach your children, train your children, and main reason might be, I'm not, only you know it's between you and the Lord, but I wonder sometimes if you're genuinely saved. In order for you to have a Christ-like attitude toward uh, uh, the, the, the mind of God and the heart of God and the spirit of God, and you want your children to have it, that means you have to have Christ in your life. Some of you have grown up around God. You grew up, you, maybe your parents uh, were always kind of faithful to church and, and, and had good things to say about God. But listen, you're not going to ride on the coattails of your mom and dad and somehow you're going to raise your kids on the, and you hope your kid, that's going to be, listen, you have, in order for your children to be saved, you better be saved. Let me say that again. A big problem with reason that young people aren't being saved is because mom and dad might not be saved. There, you, can't, you can't expect your kids to have a heart for God. They're not going to have a heart for the church, a heart to give, a heart for others. Until you are genuinely born again. Now, if that if I say that, you in your mind and heart, you're you're struggling. You're oh, I hope I'm saved. I think I'm saved. Maybe I'm. Saved. I I think I I'm pretty sure I'm saved. Somehow it doesn't really add up. It's hard. It's so hard to do the Christian life. It's hard to be faithful to church. It's hard to give. It's hard to read your Bible. It's hard to go soul winning. Everything's hard in the Christian life. Well, there's one reason for that. Without a new, without being born again, it's impossible. Mission impossible. You remember that song? Oh, uh, detective, mission impossible. They weren't going to do the mission. Well, listen. Raising your children up for God is impossible unless you're saved. You've got to be saved. That means you have to repent of your sin. You've got to recognize no matter how many good things you've done in your life, it's never going to add up to salvation. Say it again. No matter how many good things. I don't care how many nice things you've done for others. I don't care how often you've gone to church. I don't know how respectful you are of, of people of God unless you have come to a place of repentance. That's a change of mind. 
You've changed your mind. I, 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 no matter how good I've been in my life, I still fall short of the glory of God, and I need Jesus as my Savior. And you need to turn to Him. You want your children to be saved? Don't play around with this. You're not sure? You need to come see me. I'm not asking you to get up in the middle of the service. At the end of service, you say, Pastor, I'm just not 100% sure. Please. That's what you got a pastor for, to guide you through some of that. And I certainly would love to have the opportunity, if you're not sure, not only for your sake, but for your that future generation. Let me give you another one. Responsibility to suffer. Now, this is not the same sufferer that we think of when we... We get hurt. It's not the same suffer as, uh, as that we're talking about. This suffer is a little different definition. But I want you to see what it means. Defining suffer, to allow, to permit, not forbid. You say, what do you mean? You mean there are actually people that would, would, would forbid their children from coming to know Christ? And there's actually children uh, that would hinder their children? <clears throat> Yes. <laughs> Disciples, the men that Jesus chose to be his followers, were not allowing little children. Now you say, uh, there were others that bringing their children. Well, this is the people that were going to be teaching. These were the people, these were the apostles, these were the people, the disciples that were going to go on. They needed to have a right attitude toward children. That's why I believe with all of my heart I maintained earlier, you need to have a strong, viable relationship with your children. You need to be thinking about them, praying for them. It ought to be, if you're here today, listen to me, if you're a mom and dad here today, I think you're backslidden if you're not praying for your child every day. By name. Getting down on your knees and saying, Oh God, as far as I know, I'm not sure about my child's salvation. I'm not sure whether they're going to live for you. What did Job do? Remember Job? He made sacrifice for his children. Well, maybe they sinned or maybe they done something wasn't right. And he made sacrifice for them. They were all great, raised up. Do you love them? Yeah, Pastor, I love them. Let me ask you again. Jesus, like Jesus, told uh, Peter, do you really love me? Remember him saying that to him in the last chapter of John? Do you really love me? Boy, if you really love your kids and you want them to grow up to love God and you want them to serve God, then let me say this. You better not do anything to hinder them. You remember what it says? If you offend one of these little ones, remember what it says later on in the scripture? Anyone offends one of these little children is better what? Everybody seen a millstone? What are they? What were they? Just kind of a little thing that kind of, kind of ran around like a little egg beater on your on your countertop. Well, these were huge stones, and they rubbed together and they ground the corn and the meal. That's how heavy they were. Just the weight alone. And he says, if you if you would offend or hinder one of these little ones that believe on me, it's better that a millstone be hung around your head, be drowned in the depths of the sea. 
I don't know about you. God's serious about our children, isn't he? You ought to be serious about them too. They're, to be honest with you, are they your, solely your children? Are they really just your children? They belong to God. You bet. You'll answer to God. You love them children. I'm going to show you some things about having responsibilities. Having children. Let's look at this. This is the experience your pastor's got, okay? Please understand. Having children means what? Never alone. <laughs> we sing that song, right? Never alone. When you have children, get used to it. You're never going to be alone. I mean, I long to be alone once in a while. You got the little tinge inside. I'd like to have a little time by myself. Get over it. And enjoy it. Just get over it and enjoy it. If you can't, if you can't get out of it, just enjoy it, right? Figure out how you're going to like this. And just enjoy it. I'm never going to be alone. Always participating, always mentoring, teaching, encouraging, and correcting. Always. That's what it's going to be about. It's just who you are as a mom and dad. Always, 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 never alone. Always in participation. What does that mean? If, if you're doing something, who's going to be there with you? You're going to be there with you. I love it. As, I wish I knew it as a dad. I didn't have this understanding as a dad. Boy, I'd love it as a grandpa. I, I got my grandpa. I, I, I hope they come. When I'm doing something, I want them all around. I, I, they asked me if they could paint. I said, wow, I don't know. I said, ask mom. If I'm, grandpa's okay with it, if mom's okay. Mom says, get on the paint clothes. And we painted. Oh, we had paint everywhere. We had paint everywhere. I mean, we had paint on the sidewalk. We had it on our arms. We had it on our shoes. We had it in our hair. We had paint. And I'm not saying that's how you paint. But guess what? <clears throat> Always participate. Get them involved. You say, well, they're too young. You know what? They're never too young. I believe with all my heart, I, I would want my kids. I remember that when I was, uh, I can't remember how old they were. I think it was the little twins. They wanted to run the, I was running the screws into a board. And they were down there and they were wanting to put their hand on the thing. And I said, well, no, wait a minute. Let me show you how to do this. Two years old. Put your hand. I, and they couldn't even squeeze the trigger. They wouldn't have enough strength to squeeze the trigger. I said, well, here's how you do it. And I put my little hand over the top of their little hand. and Rah! You know what you're doing? You're building a relationship with somebody that has, if you're saved, listen to me, that has what? The Holy Spirit of God. Woo! Is there going to be a godly influence in their life? Is there going to be an other's influence in their life? Is there going to be a, they say, well, he, he really loves me. Right? He really loves me. Where did they get that? Because he lets me help. He lets me grow up. He lets me mature. So having, never alone, always participating, always mentoring. What was, somebody help me out. What does mentoring mean? What does mentoring mean? Huh? You're strong. You're just guiding. You're just. You're being a part of it. You're teaching. You're training. 
I get excited when I can see some little young person that's six years old knows how to square a board. I get excited about that. They know what a square is. Or they go to the kitchen and get me the big spoon or get me the beater or get me the mop or get me the broom or get me the dustpan. I get excited. We have the little girl then. I remember, I don't remember which one it was, but they get the broom and they see there's something on the floor and they're whacking this big old broom handle around, bopping people in the head with it, but they're trying to sweep up some dirt. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? See the little kids do that? Don't hinder them. Don't suffer them. A responsibility that you have. And I wonder, what does that mean? It just means that you what? You love them. You're allowing them to be a part of your life, which the Holy Spirit's a part of. You're guiding, mentoring, teaching, directing, encouraging. I, I love saying thank you. How many like saying thank you? I just love saying thank you. I love saying thank you. I see somebody do something and help out in some way. You know, that encourages. Say, Pastor, what are you saying? You want your children to be saved? Number two, having children either others you or what? How many have been there? Overwhelms you. For you that not had children, sorry, you haven't got a good training. You're just going to miss out on something. Because once you have children, guess what? All of a sudden, it's not you and your missus anymore or you and your mister anymore. It's you and that third person, right? Or that fourth person, or that fifth person, or sixth person, or in some cases the tenth person, right? And that's fun. It's, you know, when you get overcome yourself, you know, how many ever have a problem with selfishness? Come on, it's all about me. It's all about what I want to do. It's all about what I'm interested in. If you got a selfish problem, Jason, you don't have that, do you? Okay, great. Man, you come from a big family. I came from a big family. You had a selfish problem. You better get over it. You just better get over it. Because you're going to be in trouble all the time. It was all about everybody else. You had to help out on everything. I roomed in a half a bedroom with four other brothers. In a half a bedroom. And the other side of the wall, which mom and dad put in, was three sisters. Four at one time, but they quickly, one left. We had eight people in the master bedroom, divided by a wall. Man, if somebody left anything out. I mean, think what it would be like if, some, if, if everybody left their shoes on the floor. How many, parents, how many shoes would be on the floor? What am I saying, folks? Children, others. It ought to be your children. Ralph and Yolanda, praise God. Hot and Cassie right behind, behind them. Vargas's are there. Monterosas are in the same boat. You got a whole bunch of kids, praise God. You say, why? It teaches you all about others. Praise the Lord. You know, I'm going to spend a little time here, but I want you to understand. When you kids, you go get a drink of water... Why do you want to get a drink of water? Help me out. Jason, why do you go get a drink of water? 
Thank you. You hit it right on the head. If you're thirsty, guess what? What's the probability that what? Somebody else is thirsty. What should you do? Somebody help me out. Sam, help me out. Ah, very good. You maintain not just satisfying yourself. I'm, I'm hungry. Maybe somebody else is hungry. I'm tired. Maybe somebody else is tired. This other's kind of mentality. And you want, what kind of attitude do we want, parents? What kind of attitude? Christ like. Why do we want a Christ like spirit? Why? And not selfish, but what's the goal? So your children can see the God at work in their world. And God is at work in their world all the way around. They see it in them, and they see it in them, their parents, and hopefully they'll see it in their brothers and sisters as well. All right. Lack of Christ-like attitude with your children and all children. We have the faith to understand what the kingdom of God is all about. We understand what suffering is all about. But the grace to know what it means not to forbid. Now we use two things here. Suffering and forbidding. Those are very, very big words. And in this context, Jesus pulls this up. I want you to see here, to forbid, to oppose, to hinder, to obstruct. You say, is that probable that parents would hinder or oppose? It's not only probable, it happens every day. You oppose your children coming to Christ. You oppose your children. How do we oppose them? Let's look at this. Take care. We're going to look at this, and I, and I want you to see it. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 14. Jesus, I believe, gives the greatest example that we have that I, I, I would look to this. I love this. Because I believe this is the, the example of instead of opposing or forbidding, look at our example of our Lord. We're going to start in verse number 22 because that's kind of the beginning of the story. And the Bible says straightway, we're in Matthew chapter 20, 14, verse 22. Straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship. And to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up into the mount apart to pray. And when evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. Who controls the wind and the waves, by the way? The Lord does, doesn't he? Challenges, difficulties. How many have a few of those in your life? Anybody? Challenge, difficulties? Overwhelming sometimes? Going to take you under, take you over? Verse number 25. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is the Spirit, and they cried out for fear. I want to underline that word, fear. Or keep it in mind. 
But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good... What? Wait a minute. What did he say? Be of good what? Hope? Good cheer. It's going to be all right. Things are going to work out. It is I. Be not afraid. Verse 28. Peter answered him and said unto him, Lord, if thou, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Now he could have said like most parents, no, nah, you're not, not ready for it. You got to get a little older. Right? You get you wait until you get uh, you know you get to be so old then you can do it. What does Jesus say? He said one little word. What? Come. Come. Come on. You think you have the faith to do it? You have the strength to do it? The wisdom to do it? Hey, you want to do it? I'll help you. And when Peter was come down on the, out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the winds boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. And he said unto him, O thou of little faith, therefore didst thou, didst thou doubt. And when they were come into the ship, the winds ceased. Then they were... They, then, were <clears throat> then they... Then... I'll get it right. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. What do we have? There's four things I can pull out of this for parenting. There's going to be fear. The challenge that your child faces is fear. They are afraid of everything. Your job is what? Give them faith, right? Your job is to help them with that fear. Your job is to say, hey, this is not a, something you should be afraid of. This is an opportunity for you to mature and to grow. I'm going to show you how to be an adult. I'm going to show you how to live by faith. I'm going to show you how much God is good to us. I'm going to show you all these things. It is an opportunity. And then there's training. And the Bible says we need to train our children. How many ever, have, have, ever had the responsibilities in a, in a job of training? Not in, the, not in the home, but just out in the, in the daily workforce. Your job is to train. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Is it sometimes daunting? <laughs> sometimes people just don't get it. Sometimes you can show them and you can, and you can guide them and you come back and they still did it wrong. How many had that? And you get kind of worrisome and you get kind of tired but guess what? There is, with every bit of training and every bit of effort, with all the energy you put into it, what am I, I'm going to say in one word. It's worth it. It's worth it. I don't care how hard it is. I don't care how challenging it is. I don't tell how much time you have to spend on it. It's worth it. Aren't it great when your kids learn to tie their own shoes? Anything like that? Woo, that's nice. Right? Isn't it great when they can when they can put away their own clothes? Isn't that nice? Isn't it nice when they can dress themselves? Isn't it nice when you don't have to tell them to brush your teeth? Isn't it nice when they do their devotions without you telling them? Isn't that nice? Is it worth it? Then we have to take that opportunity that God gives us to train. With training becomes what? 
experience. Experience becomes what? Maturity. How many think that Jesus was training Peter? Yeah, he was training him. Your job for your children to be saved and your children to know God is for you to give them the opportunity, for you to train, for you to give them the experience, then they will have the maturity. We have kids. Remember the Jewish economy. When did a young man, it was considered a man? opportunity. They showed him. You think Jesus was a carpenter? They said, well, well, I reached 18. I guess I'm going to take you out to the shop now, uh, Joseph, uh, Jesus. I'm going to show you a few things about wood. When do you think when do you think Joseph started teaching Jesus about carpentry? Huh? He could pick up a hammer, right? Probably let Jesus drive a few wooden pokes in, in the dirt. I don't know. But I'm saying to you, if you want your child to be saved, and I don't know a parent in here, if you're any close to being right with God, that doesn't want your children to be saved. You start off with understanding what the kingdom of heaven is about. If you're not saved, get saved. You need to be born again. you got to learn to suffer. The idea that suffering, really, you're not going to do anything to sin, and they're not going to forbid. You say, you say, say, you say when? Right? How many of you always wonder, when are one of my kids are going to be saved? When are they going to be saved? When are they going to be saved? When everything around them, they see the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember? What two things does it require to be saved? What two things do I talk about require to be saved? Faith, where does that come from? Where does it come from? Hearing the word of God. What's the other element that's required for salvation? The Holy Spirit of God. What is present in that child's life? You have the Holy Spirit, Mom and Dad, right? Mom and Dad have the Holy Spirit of God. They are in the Word of God. They're doing the will of God. They're saying, God, I want your will to be done in my life, in my family, in everything that I do. And who's in that little environment that's being affected? And you want to do what, Mom and Dad? Surround them. Everything they do, everything they see, you want it to be of the Word of God and of the Holy Spirit. You want God to be completely consumed in their life so that all they know, and they'll start talking about it. Your kids will start saying, well, you know, and you talk about it, well, I hope, I hope so-and-so gets saved. We've been praying for so-and-so in our family to be saved. It's not unusual when that son or daughter is in an environment, now listen, it's not always, but it's not unusual at all to see a son and daughter, five, 
seven years old. No! That don't work that way. They'll say, I need to get saved. Dad, I need to get saved. Dad, I know I'm, I need Jesus as my Savior. It's not you prodding and pleading with them. They'll know! Because the Holy Spirit's been around them, convicting them of sin and of righteousness and of the judgment to come. Is that what you want, Mom and Dad? Is that what you want? How many, how many of you get excited when your son or daughter come? Daddy, I need to be saved. Mom, I know I need to be saved. I know I'm in trouble with God. I know that I don't want to go to hell. I know that I need to be saved. How many get excited when you hear those voices? Woo! Yeah! Wow! I was hoping for this day. How many of you are worrying right now? I'm not sure. They don't seem to be too convicted about sin. Well, listen. Jesus says the one that's hurting them is not the world around you. It's you. It's you. You're the one that's hindering them. You're the one that's not suffering them to come to Christ. Allowing them. Because they need to be completely consumed in an environment of the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God. So let me ask you today, why don't, you, why don't you parents, why don't you parents just make a promise to God? Say, Lord, please, I want you to use me. And I want you to use my husband, and I want you to use my wife. I want you to use us together to consume our children in the Holy Spirit of God. So that we're, we're creating such an environment. Someday they're going to be asking the question, Daddy, Mommy, I need to be saved. I want to be saved. I want to live for God. I want to be baptized. Can I go soul winning? Can I, can I go to Fairhaven Empowered Youth? <laughs> can I help out at the church? Can I help with this? Can I help with that? Don't hinder them. Don't forbid them. Let them go to Jesus. Let's stand as we Heavenly Father, <clears throat> Lord, this, sometimes messages are not as easy to hear. Lord, this might be one of those messages for folks that it's hard to believe that we'd be hindering our own children from being 